In 2012, Mark Pilkington checked into the Sheraton Hotel in Phoenix, Arizona, the location for the yearly International Congress on UFOs. But the ufologist didn't have much time to sleep. He was too busy shooting a documentary. The project was an expansion of his book, Mirage Men, an adventure into paranoia, espionage, psychological warfare, and UFOs. He'd written about how mysterious government agents called Mirage Men use disinformation, surveillance, and infiltration to control and confuse the UFO community for decades. Now, Pilkington was gathering first-hand interviews from the people who lived it, and his most important subject was on his way. Pilkington tried a few different camera angles in the small room. One of his assistants sat in to witness history. Pilkington made sure the lighting was set up just right. He triple-checked that his cameras and microphones were fully operational. And then, showtime. Pilkington opened the door and welcomed his prized subject. It was none other than the original Mirage Man himself, former Air Force Office of Special Investigations Special Agent Richard Doty, ready to tell his side of the story. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. This is our second episode on the Men in Black and the Mirage Men, mysterious government agents who interfere in the lives of civilian witnesses to alien activity. Last episode, we discussed the history of both organizations. Beginning in the 1940s, the Men in Black reportedly used intimidation tactics to silence anyone with knowledge of alien activity. In the late 1970s, their strategy shifted. They aligned themselves with ufologists in order to infiltrate the community and wage disinformation campaigns. This shifty approach earned them the nickname Mirage Men. This episode will examine some popular theories surrounding the Men in Black and Mirage Men. Some ufologists believe the United States government has been allied with intergalactic species for decades and the Men in Black and Mirage Men have worked to cover up the truth. Don't believe it? You're not alone. But skeptics of UFOs and alien activity have their own theories about the organizations. Some believe the Men in Black and Mirage Men perpetuated lies about aliens to distract citizens from an equally deadly but more earthbound threat. Top Secret Explosive Military Technology we have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Renowned astronomer Carl Sagan once described the global nuclear arms race as two sworn enemies standing waist-deep in gasoline, one with three matches, the other with five. He wasn't wrong. At the beginning of the Cold War in the late 40s and early 50s, American citizens stood waist-deep in the same gasoline as their leaders, but they were without matches. They could only hold their breath and wait to see whether the USA or USSR set the world on fire first. Death lurked around every corner. Earth's future was uncertain. So people around the world turned their attention to the stars for relief. Especially in the United States. During this period, American pop culture experienced an obsession with anything related to space or extraterrestrials. Civilian UFO sightings surged accordingly. In January 1952, the CIA responded to the country's UFO mania. They gathered a group of relevant experts, such as astronomers and engineers, to discuss and review the Air Force's prior investigations into unidentified flying objects. Headed by astrophysicist Howard P. Robertson, it became known as the Robertson Panel. Over the course of four days, the Robertson panel reached the consensus that the majority of alleged UFO sightings could be attributed to public hysteria. The report concluded that there was no evidence of a direct threat to national security in the objects sighted. Furthermore, there was no evidence that related the objects sighted to space travelers. The panel recommended that the government take immediate action to debunk the fallacious stories about UFOs in the media and strip them of their aura of mystery. In addition, they recommended that the United States keep an eye on civilians who spread information about UFOs or claim to have witnessed a sighting themselves. However, some ufologists believe the Robertson panel came to a different conclusion that UFOs were all too real. 
Their recommendation to discredit UFO reports as fake news wasn't a battle for truth. It was a sinister cover-up. If the Robertson panel did lie about its conclusions on UFOs, this deception provides a possible connection between the men in black and the U.S. government. The shadowy agents were deployed to suppress the truth about extraterrestrials, but it doesn't explain why they were so afraid of letting the world know about its intergalactic neighbors. Luckily, there are hundreds of alleged men in black encounters to draw conclusions from. And when examined as a whole, a number of odd patterns emerge. First, most people said the men in black arrived at the scene of a UFO sighting less than 24 hours after it occurred. Usually, they materialized before the witnesses even shared their stories with more than a handful of people. As we mentioned last episode, Harold Dahl, the first man to report an interaction with the men in black in 1947, was shocked when a stranger turned up on his doorstep to discuss flying saucers. He had only spotted the six flying donut-shaped vessels the day before. Second, most accounts describe the men in black as having a hair-raising, sinister aura. Invariably, the agents spoke with a cold, flat effect. Often, their voices were described as mechanical. Third, the men in black's appearances were frequently described as unusual. Unnaturally pale, tall, and hairless. If they arrived in pairs or groups, witnesses described them as uncannily identical in their dress and physical attributes. In 1976, physician Dr. Herbert Hopkins described the agent that arrived on his doorstep as having pale facial features that looked like plastic, except for a pair of blood-red lips. The stories have led some to wonder whether the men in black have less in common with the Mirage Men than they originally thought. One of the leading theories is that the men in black weren't people hiding the existence of aliens, but aliens trying to stay hidden from people. And this conclusion isn't just based on secondhand accounts. Although the majority of men in black encounters occurred before the 70s, they resurfaced in 2008. And they were caught on tape. In October 2008, a manager and a security guard of a hotel near Niagara Falls both reportedly saw what appeared to be a massive triangular UFO hovering in the sky. After a few minutes of stasis, the ship disappeared beyond the western horizon without a trace. Not long after, two men in matching black suits and hats entered the hotel lobby unannounced, and they weren't looking to spend the night. Security cameras captured the two men's arrival. Video footage showed them sweeping through the automatic entrance doors, both remarkably tall with unnaturally pale faces. The clerk who interacted with them claimed that they appeared to be identical. She assumed they were twins. The two men asked to speak with the manager and security guard, the ones who had witnessed the alleged UFO. But when the clerk informed the man that neither witness was presently at the hotel, the agents didn't seem to buy it. According to the desk worker, they appeared singularly focused on finding their quarry. Instead of leaving, the agents questioned other staff members. 
Another employee claimed they had no eyebrows or eyelashes. Their hairlines beneath their hats looked fake. While interacting with them, this employee became transfixed by their large blue eyes and lost track of what they were saying. Later, she reported to her manager that she felt hypnotized, like they were reading her mind. After questioning every staffer they could find, they left and never returned. Ufologists consider the 2008 encounter a breakthrough, the first hard evidence that the men in black definitely exist. But it wasn't enough to sway the skeptics. They didn't consider the footage of the two tall suited men entering a hotel to be anything unusual. And they dismissed the employee testimonies as salacious gossip, bait for unfounded conspiracies. Though the stories about men in black are remarkably similar, it's impossible to know whether they're real. Some equate the stories to a game of telephone. Each alleged witness just added slight variations to the last person's lies. Ultimately, until governmental paperwork emerges about their budget or an agent steps out from the shadows to tell their story, the men in black will remain an unknowable mystery. Mirage men? on the other hand, are a different story. In 2012, one of them stepped forward to share his experience as an agent. Coming up, Mirage Men unmask themselves. Hi, it's Richard. Ready to hear about my new favorite Spotify original from Parcast? It's called Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, and it uncovers the most damning details surrounding history's most high-profile leaders. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency. From torrid love affairs and contemptible corruption to shocking cover-ups and even murder, she'll expose the personal and professional controversies you may never knew existed. You'll hear some wildly true stories about presidents such as Richard Nixon, George Washington, Teddy Roosevelt, JFK, and more. Very Presidential highlights the exploits you never learned in history class, but probably should have. Family drama, personal vices, dirty secrets. These presidents may have run, but they most certainly can't hide. Follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Now, back to the story. Since 1947, the men in black have allegedly silenced members of the UFO community. Accounts describe these mysterious agents as threatening, eerie, and supernatural possibly even aliens themselves. In contrast, since the 70s, Mirage men have been associated with the mundane, bureaucracy, paperwork, and data. But as we mentioned in the last episode, they dealt in disinformation. Because of that, 
Their ultimate goal has always been difficult to unpack. They funded some ufologists while feeding others false information. They collaborated with some and undermined others. They towed the line between ally and enemy, hot and cold, Jekyll and Hyde. But in 2012, documentarian Mark Pilkington landed an interview that allowed the world to finally peek behind the curtain of the elusive Mirage Man. For unknown reasons, Special Agent and Mirage Man Richard Doty decided to go public with his side of the story. He spent his career with the United States Air Force Office of Special Investigation, abbreviated Air Force OSI. On camera, Doty was a slight, unremarkable-looking man with a receding hairline and large metallic glasses straight out of the 80s. But his unassuming appearance reflected the nature of his work. It was deceptive. Bob Durant, a former pilot and ufologist who appeared alongside Doty in the film, described Doty as a professional misinformer trained to lie. According to Durant, all of Doty's words had to be taken with a grain of salt. But Pilkington's film allowed the audience to decide for themselves. It gave Doty the opportunity to share his side of Paul Benowitz's tragic story. In the years leading up to 1979, Paul Benowitz recorded strange lights and sounds coming from the Kirtland Air Force Base. He lived right outside the base in the hills of Albuquerque, New Mexico. At the time, his company, Thunder Scientific, was under contract with both NASA and the Air Force. After witnessing the bizarre lights on a number of occasions, Benowitz finally reached out to the Kirtland Air Force Base with his compiled evidence. Air Force OSI handled Benowitz's inquiry and assigned his case to Special Agent Richard Doty. During their first meeting, Doty's genuine interest in the unusual activity struck Benowitz. He hadn't expected to be taken so seriously. According to Doty, he was genuinely interested, but he had an agenda. Doty curated his attentive demeanor to put Benowitz at ease. The agent didn't want Benowitz to withhold any information. Doty needed Benowitz to trust him. If Doty succeeded, Benowitz would consider him an ally and entrust him with all his future discoveries. The con was laughably easy. Benowitz was, by nature, unguarded. He never stood a chance. The engineer shared everything he had. In their first meeting, Benowitz didn't present any information that Doty didn't already know. The problem was, civilians weren't supposed to observe, let alone record, any of the events Benowitz tracked with his equipment. It was a top-secret classified project. Of course, Benowitz had no idea that was the case. He thought he was observing a potential threat to the base. But from Doty's perspective, the threat wasn't aliens. It was Benowitz's insight. After their first interaction, Doty's superior determined that Benowitz wasn't doing anything untoward with his investigation into the peculiar happenings at the base. He was openly patriotic with a squeaky clean record. But if he discovered anything more about the project, Benowitz might pose a serious threat to national security. Not to mention, 
If Benowitz could gather information on their most classified projects, the Soviets could too. In 1979, Cold War tensions between the USSR and America soared. The threat of nuclear war was at its highest since the Cuban Missile Crisis more than a decade earlier. The Air Force decided they needed to gather more intel about Benowitz's reconnaissance methods. So instead of reprimanding him, they encouraged him to continue investigating. But they couldn't tell him the truth. Instead, they created an elaborate fiction. In his interview, Doty told Pilkington that he planted the seed in Benowitz's mind that what he was seeing and what he was hearing and collecting was in fact UFOs. Once Benowitz thought that he was chasing aliens, his investment in the investigation deepened. Doty later arranged for Benowitz to give a presentation to Doty's superiors at Kirtland Air Force Base. Everyone in the room knew about the ruse, except for Benowitz. He thought he was delivering crucial intelligence about alien activity. In reality, Benowitz was a lab rat. Air Force officials used him to extract information about his remarkable surveillance methods. The only person who needed to impress the Air Force brass was Special Agent Doty, and he succeeded. The meeting proved that Doty could control Benowitz. Afterward, the Air Force gave Doty clearance to continue his surveillance. On camera, Doty displayed chilling modesty about his control of Benowitz. The Mirage Man said, it was very easy to convince Paul. He's a World War II veteran. He's very patriotic. Those kinds of people you can convince of anything. There's controversy over how Benowitz's investigation moved forward after his presentation. Doty insinuated that Benowitz's research led him up to Archuleta Mesa, where Benowitz believed he saw bona fide UFO wreckage. However, author Greg Bishop wrote a book about Benowitz's experience with Doty and the Air Force, and he told a different story. Bishop claimed that Benowitz's first exposure to Archuleta Mesa occurred when Doty arranged a flight over the area in an Air Force helicopter. According to Bishop, Doty and Air Force OSI staged the UFO wreckage with various machinery and materials they had on hand. Doty meant for the trip to pique Benowitz's interest so that he could focus his investigation on the Mesa possibly to divert his attention away from projects back at the base. Doty's conflicting testimony stated that Benowitz's focus on Archuleta Mesa actually troubled the Air Force, and what Benowitz saw on the Mesa wasn't staged. The engineer happened upon a so-called secretive military installation that was training commandos. It's not clear which story can or should be believed. But if the Air Force did take issue with Paul's investigation at Archuleta Mesa, they theoretically could have redirected his attention to a more neutral area. They had the resources, and as Doty himself stated, Benowitz was easy to control. At the same time, Bishop's story about staged props raises questions about how they prepared the display without attracting undue attention from other curious ufologists. Regardless, both stories agree on what happened next. While flying over the Archuleta Mesa in his personal plane, 
Benowitz spotted another wreck, and he photographed it. Doty and Bishop's accounts agreed that this one wasn't staged. During a test flight in the late 80s, an experimental aircraft unexpectedly crashed, but the Air Force never cleaned it up. Afterward, Benowitz showed the photographs to other members of the UFO community, claiming he'd seen a real alien spacecraft. Bishop speculated that the downed vessel was an early drone prototype, now commonly used for targeted military strikes. In 1985, an unmanned aircraft would have been considered cutting-edge technology. If the Soviet Union got their hands on the Air Force's plans, America would lose its tactical advantage. So Doty ratcheted up his disinformation campaign to throw Benowitz off the scent. Doty and the Air Force OSI told Benowitz that the wreckage was indeed alien, but that extraterrestrials gifted the craft to Earthlings. During the ship's first voyage under human control, the aliens shot it out of the sky to illustrate their superior might. The story served two purposes. First, it reinforced Benowitz's existing beliefs and pushed him further into the delusional world they'd created for him. Second, if Benowitz ever repeated the story, nobody would believe him. As Bishop put it, the story brought down the laughter curtain so people just wouldn't pay attention. They would think Benowitz was another UFO nut. But there was still one loose end. Benowitz still had photographs of a classified project. To ensure they never saw the light of day, Doty pushed Benowitz further down the rabbit hole. As we discussed in the last episode, Benowitz's paranoia exploded when he believed that aliens were surveilling him from neighboring houses and breaking into his home. Doty never admitted to forcing entry into Benowitz's house. However, Bishop believed that Air Force agents regularly entered Benowitz's residence without his knowledge, just to gauge the extent of his research. Benowitz never complained that any of his research or photographs went missing. But Air Force OSI could have replaced photographs of the 1985 UFO crash with doctored copies that didn't present a national security threat. As for the alien surveillance, Doty claimed members of the National Security Agency were the ones spying on Benowitz. They weren't affiliated with Air Force OSI. That said, many ufologists don't believe Doty. Many maintain that the men Benowitz saw peeking through the blinds were Air Force agents, and they were doing a lot more than surveillance. According to ufologist Mark Pilkington, the Air Force spies arranged a visit between Benowitz and a distinguished astronomer, Professor J. Allen Hynek. Pilkington described Hynek in his book, Mirage Men, as UFO royalty. We know that a meeting between Hynek and Benowitz did in fact take place. According to Pilkington, Hynek brought Benowitz a powerful new computer. Benowitz saw Hynek's visit as a major honor and considered any equipment he brought an invaluable gift. He never suspected that Hynek could be delivering a computer fitted with Air Force OSI-designed software. Pilkington contended that the software allowed nearby Air Force agents to send direct messages to Benowitz's computer. 
Benowitz stopped intercepting radio signals from the Kirtland Air Force Base and started receiving only the information that the surveilling agents sent him. In other words, he was being brainwashed by the United States government into believing aliens were taking over the world. In his interview, Doty never admitted to this ploy. But if they did, the plan worked too well. Benowitz alerted the Air Force of the imminent alien threats. When they remained idle, Benowitz grew frantic. Against Doty's advice, Benowitz wrote to a variety of elected officials, including President Reagan. Most didn't respond. Those that did expressed disinterest. According to Doty, as Benowitz reached his wit's end, he approached the engineer as a friend and strongly advised him to take a step back from all investigations. Doty allegedly tried coming clean about some of the lies he'd told, but Benowitz refused to believe him. He was in too deep. And when Doty realized he was no longer in control, he withdrew Benowitz's Air Force funding. Thanks to Doty's meddling, Benowitz lost everything. First his business, then his family, and finally his mind. In 1988, Benowitz's family admitted him to a facility where he could receive extensive psychiatric care. No matter which way you slice it, Paul Benowitz's story is heartbreaking. Richard Doty's version of events from the perspective of a mirage man is perhaps even more sinister than if aliens were threatening to invade Earth. If true, it also proves one theory about the mirage men's mysterious intentions. They were a smokescreen to protect government technology, and they seemed to be willing to destroy a man's life to do so. But Richard Doty and the Mirage Men didn't only deal in hoaxes, they handled the real thing, too. Coming up, former Special Agent Richard Doty unveils the shocking truth about the U.S. government's relationship with aliens. Now, back to the story. In 1979, UFO researcher Paul Benowitz teamed up with Mirage Man Richard Doty. Benowitz believed that they were working together to track a belligerent alien race planning to invade Earth. In reality, Doty and his Air Force OSI cronies perpetrated a hoax to distract Benowitz from gathering information on top-secret Air Force projects. But as it turned out, Doty's agenda didn't only include fictitious aliens. William Moore first rose to prominence in the UFO community in 1980 after publishing a book about the alleged 1949 Roswell UFO crash. As we discussed in the last episode, Air Force OSI then offered Moore proof that UFOs existed and the government was covering them up. In exchange, Moore agreed to report on the UFO community's latest research. In his pursuit for the real truth about aliens, Moore helped spread misinformation among the UFO community. Around 1988, he came clean about his involvement with the Air Force OSI, and ufologists everywhere rejected him as a pariah. Apparently, it was the exact reaction the Mirage men wanted. Toward the end of Doty's interview with Mark Pilkington, Doty unloaded some intel about America's highly classified dealings with extraterrestrials. According to him, 
in the late 1970s, he was singled out to take part in a top-secret counterintelligence program. Doty sat through a briefing regarding how the United States Air Force was countering unauthorized disclosure of technology to the public by using the UFO phenomenon as a cover. The briefing provided the blueprint Doty used to mislead Paul Benowitz in 1979. However, the Air Force wasn't just trying to cover up its experimental technology. As part of the meeting, Doty and his colleagues also had to watch a film shot in the late 1940s or early 50s. Even for a Mirage man, the footage sent chills down his spine. It showed a devastating crash site in Roswell, New Mexico. Debris from some kind of aircraft blanketed the ground as rescuers recovered what looked like bodies, extraterrestrial bodies. The film cut from the site of the wreck to an interrogation room. Behind a table sat an extraterrestrial species. Officials in the room appeared to be trying to communicate with it. Doty didn't explain in much detail what the being looked like. But the film ended with a narration about the ongoing relationship between the United States government and alien civilizations. As someone experienced with misinformation, Doty was initially skeptical about the movie clip. He thought his superiors might be testing him, or it was some sort of psychological training. But after the film concluded, an Air Force colonel addressed the group. He discussed how America's relationship with extraterrestrials had changed since initial contact with the Roswell crash in 1947. As the colonel spoke, Doty's doubts fell away. Reminiscing on the meeting, Doty said, the more the colonel spoke, the more I realized that what I saw was real. This guy wouldn't be standing here talking to us with the people in the room briefing into this high-level program if it was a hoax. The irony of a man in uniform convincing Doty of an alien presence on Earth didn't register with the agent, even though he used the same trick on Paul Benowitz not long after. Of course, there is the possibility that Doty used pieces of his interview with Pilkington to spread disinformation. As we mentioned earlier, everything he said should be taken with a grain of salt. He may have retired from his service and sat in front of the camera as an ordinary citizen, but his track record makes him tough to believe. That said, taken at face value, his confession provides some deeper insight into why Air Force OSI recruited William Moore so aggressively. The details in Moore's book, The Roswell Incident, aligned with the information Doty provided about the video he watched of the crash site. If Moore's book edged too close to the truth, the government could have viewed it as a threat to national security. To keep their secrets safe, Moore needed to be discredited. Indeed. Moore's relationship with Air Force OSI ultimately resulted in his humiliation and disrepute. Moore's fellow ufologists booed him offstage at his last public appearance, leaving his reputation permanently destroyed. Of course, assuming that Moore's book did tread too close to the real story, the government required more far-reaching action to prevent the public from finding out the truth. In 1979, around the time Doty received his Roswell briefing, 
the Freedom of Information Act resulted in the declassification of a trove of documents that proved government agencies actively pursued and researched UFOs. This triggered a new responsibility for Mirage men. In addition to preventing ufologists from becoming too credible, they needed to generate a large volume of forged documents. These fake records diluted the real ones, making it near impossible to separate fact from fiction. The preponderance of fraudulent documents made most people dismiss anything UFO-related as a hoax. UFO historian Richard Dolan compares it to receiving a vaccination. He told documentarians, demonstrably false UFO stories become inoculations. When the doctor inoculates you from a disease, he gives you a little bit of it. And then your immune system recovers, deals with it, and now you're immune to it. Without the ability to reliably fact check, mainstream news media didn't cover UFO sightings or relegated them to puff local interest stories. Therefore, the public was most commonly exposed to UFOs in movies or on TV, making it easy to brush off anyone who tried to take the subject seriously. Media and entertainment networks intentionally presented alien activity as science fiction in order to control public opinion. It best served the Mirage Men's purpose if no one looked too hard into aliens, if the world viewed extraterrestrial encounters as fake news. But the tides might be turning. As we mentioned at the beginning of last episode, UFOs made mainstream headlines in April 2020. The Pentagon declassified two videos of potential UFO sightings recorded by naval pilots. The official Department of Defense statement accompanying the videos ended with this tantalizing quote. The aerial phenomena observed in the videos remain characterized as unidentified. This release was uncharacteristic of the government's ultra-secret approach up until this point. In response to the videos, retired Democratic Senator Harry Reid of Nevada tweeted, I'm glad the Pentagon is finally releasing this footage, but it only scratches the surface of research and materials available. The U.S. needs to take a serious scientific look at this and any potential national security implications. The American people deserve to be informed. Some in the UFO community believe that something must have happened in the relations between the United States government and extraterrestrials that necessitated a change in their secretive policies. Perhaps Mirage men like Richard Doty are being retired in favor of agents with a new, even more radical approach. Openness and honesty. And that has shaped a rebirth of relations within our galaxy where Earth is no longer threatened by, or threatening, alien species. Or the United States intelligence officers have simply given up their attempts to bury the truth because they know an alien invasion is already on its way. Maybe an intergalactic war is traveling towards Earth at the speed of light. We don't know. Maybe aliens only want to warn humankind that our actions on Earth have ramifications that go far beyond our planet. Perhaps they only want to tell the leaders of every country to never light the match.
Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Mirage Men, amongst the many sources we used, we found the documentary Mirage Men and the book it's based upon, Mirage Men, An Adventure into Paranoia, Espionage, Psychological Warfare, and UFOs by Mark Pilkington, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Hannah McIntosh, with writing assistance by Ali Wicker, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Hi, it's Richard, and I'm back to remind you to check out the new Spotify original from Parcast, Very Presidential, with Ashley Flowers. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency, exposing wildly true stories about history's most high-profile leaders. There's torrid love affairs, shocking blackmail schemes, and even murder. I think you're really going to get a kick out of it. To hear more, follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.